All right, folks, welcome back to Big Mama Hex podcast. I'm sitting down today virtually with Robert Jones, a friend via Facebook and by way of his new shop, which he reached out to me and asked me to um, send him some work to sell. So I'm super excited to talk to Robert today. Uh, We both share Welsh lineage and also Pensafanish Lynch lineage. So welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for coming on. This is very exciting because I never get to talk to anybody about anything Welsh on this podcast because I've really just done a deep dive into Pensafanish Deitch and Pensafanish Dutch and all the things and the diaspora and different religions and all the different backgrounds. So I'm really excited to have you on today, especially since you share um, both heritages and you are from an area in Pennsylvania where my uh, family is from. So uh, to start, I'd like to just ask you a little bit about yourself, um, who you are right now, and then we can go into a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, uh, right now I live in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont with my spouse, our three cardigan Welsh corgis. And as of a week ago, um, yeah, as a week ago, last Tuesday, so we're going to be on two weeks now, um, three alpacas. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> How did that come about? Um, well, so my spouse is named Rob. I'm Robert. He's Rob. Um, he has always wanted alpacas. And so when we moved up here, we have a sufficient amount of land to have them. And um, yeah, so we got alpacas to go with the corgis. The corgis do not herd the alpacas, but um, they do bark at them <laughs> on a daily basis. So. That's amazing. <laughs> I know we have two hound dogs, but they're very, very confused. So um, the the new hound dog is just very skittish. So she's not doing the nose to the ground quite yet. But it's very interesting how dogs interact with the world around them. That's very, very cool. Um, so Vermont, you live in Vermont. Um, but mm-hmm. when we got to talk previously, you told me that you're actually from Pennsylvania. Can you talk about where you're from in Pennsylvania and sort of what that was like growing up in that area? Sure. I was born in East Stroudsburg in Monroe County. And um, my mother's side of the family is the Pennsylvania German side. My father's is the Welsh side. Um, And we were definitely um, an English language house and all of my mother's family was. um, But the part of the family that had lived in what's called the West End of Monroe County um, at the beginning of the last century, um, they did speak uh, Pennsylvania German. Um, as a first language, but it was a fairly common transition for people in Monroe County when they would move into town, they would switch to English permanently. So um, that that great great grandmother Clara Sant didn't pass German on to her kids, but the family Bible. So so the family name that particular branch of the family is Haggerty, and Haggerty is Irish or Scottish. In this case, it's Scottish. Um, and they came to the U.S. Well, it wasn't the U.S. then. They came to the the colonies in the 1690s. And you know, not sure how PG your your um, <laughs> your podcast is, but not at all, not, not at all. Okay. Let loose, honey. <laughs> I would say they were Pennsylvania German by insemination. Um, oh. Yes. So, they 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 moved to northern New Jersey. They went to Wyckoff, which was a Dutch Dutch area, um, and then they kept moving further west. And the Haggerty Family Bible, which is now in the Monroe County Historical Association, is actually in German. So they became 
Pennsylvania German, acculturated to German culture anyway, um, many, 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 you know, we can even say centuries ago at this point. So even though they were living in town and speaking English, their their origin in some part, in some way, was really German. Um, so yeah, we have this family Bible for the Haggertys that is written in 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 good old fashioned church German and um, beautiful, you know, printing and everything in it. It's an old, it's the the actual Bible is from the um, late eighteenth century. So um, so yeah, I mean. My mother's side of the family, we were always very cognizant of, of that Pennsylvania German heritage. Um, all the Haggerty's were Lutheran. Um, there weren't any pro- any other kind of Protestant. They were Protestant. I mean, there weren't any Presbyterians or Catholics or anything. Um, everybody, everybody was Lutheran. I always made the joke that, you know, where, where I was born in Monroe County, when I was born there, you know, you came out of the womb and they, they just nailed the feces right on your chest. You were already... You were Lutheran just by default. So, so yeah, and I was aware of the Pennsylvania German heritage. Um, there was definitely people in my family practiced um, powwowing and, and brauchelei, you know, that stuff. We didn't even think about it. It was just sort of like, just sort of like day-to-day kind of stuff that you didn't even think about. They certainly didn't think they were practicing witchcraft, but they were. <laughs> They just said, oh, this is just what people do. Um, you know, so it's so a folk, folk, folk magic, that kind of stuff that was in the family. And, um, and yeah, so growing up, there were people, I definitely knew people growing up um, who were from the West End who spoke Deutsch as their first language. Um, so even though I didn't and no one in my family did when I was a child, there were people around and we were definitely cognizant of it. Oh, that's wild. Um there's so many things to unpack there. Um, it's interesting because my dad's side is also the more dominant Welsh side. Um, but his father, I always thought was Pennsylvania Dutch, but he's actually German American. And the, the little nuanced differences that are really easy to identify now that I have more um, expertise in, in the people and the culture. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Um, just a little looser, a little bit more. I, I don't want to be, you know, spreading any kind of like um, prejudices, but a little bit more fun, loose, and like <laughs> a little bit more humor. I don't know. It's just been my experience yeah, anyway. But my mom's, yeah. yeah, my mom's, my mom's side was uh, more the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, but then her dad was like full hundred percent Welsh. Like parents both Welsh super, super Welsh. So I always wonder, like, how was that for them to have him marry this Pennsylvania Dutch girl from Oli Valley? <laughs> so it must have been quite interesting. We talk a lot about it. It's really, really fascinating. Um, but it would always burn my grandfather up when she spoke Deitch. So she stopped speaking Deitch, but then his parents, of course, spoke Welsh in the home. So, but, you know, it's really interesting because I, I grew up in Bucks County. So it's a little bits away from Oli Valley and Berks County, but um, that was always much much easier to reach in and like uh, absorb and immerse myself in the culture of Pennsylvania Dutch, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't quite an interest for me when I was younger, um, but not as easy for the Welsh. So I found it really fascinating when we spoke on the phone about how, you know, I had just sort of got to an understanding of the area that my grandmother, who was very Welsh, Henrietta um, Williams, she was from um, Audrey. And my grandfather, who was also Welsh from the other side, um, he was William Davies, and he was from Taylor. 
And that whole area is was so, so Welsh. And I mean, she attended Welsh Congregational Church. And it seems to be from my mom's stories now that a lot of people were speaking Welsh still in those times, I guess, uh, 30s and 40s. So it's fascinating to me just because I didn't grow up in that sort of area. But how much of that could you speak on, if you are aware, has 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 stayed? Or is it kind of like what's happened to Pennsylvania Dutch um, areas where the language is gone and maybe the identity is also sort of like fading a bit? Um, so the, the principal areas. Thoughts in, on that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The principal areas in Pennsylvania for Welsh settlement, the, the very first one was what was called the um, the Welsh tract or the Welsh barony outside of Philadelphia. So, um, you know, places like, um, you know, Bella Kinwood and Radnor and all those places. Um, and then the the next two places that you would have seen a lot of Welsh would have been the two slate belts. So um, there is a slate belt uh, on the border in the south. It's uh, Cardiff, Maryland and Delta, Pennsylvania. And then there's a slate belt that's in the northeast, which is where I was near where I was from, um, my Welsh family just ended up in, in Monroe County by accident. It had nothing to do with the other Welsh people who were there. Um, but they were, you know, so you have Bangor and Penargel, Wind Gap, it's a lot of, so that area actually has a lot of that, the Pennsylvania G German Welsh, um, you know, uh, combinations and families, super, super common. Um, it, you know, so it seems like it was a little bit more of a surprise for you. I'm I'm not really familiar where where those towns are, Taylor. What what counties they're in, for example? Um, you I know, think it was Lackawanna. Okay, all right. Uh, so Lackawanna. Because yeah, my great grandfather actually had a um. He was a pharmacist, but more like an alchemist. Hey, and uh -huh. he. He, he kind of went under because he was like such a kind person. He would just give people their drugs and heal them and kind of went under. So um, yeah, Lackawanna County. I'm not sure about Audrey though. I'm not really re very familiar with it at all, but I know that originally both sides, um, the ancestors came to do mining, which I think they were miners in Wales too. It's very hard to trace um, the Welsh ancestors in Wales compared for me to uh, tracing like the German ancestors is a lot easier um, because there's just so much research that's already been done, but it's really tricky once you get to Wales, but it does appear that they were, there was a lot of miners. So it's out in that, uh, the coal region. Right. So that makes sense. So that was, that was where I was going to go with. So the next wave in Pennsylvania would have been the coal miners and that would have been Lackawanna, yes. Lutheran, um, Wyoming County to a certain extent. And then West, you had a lot of Welsh uh, out there too. Well, even in the Eastern part, Carbon County, there were a lot of Welsh people there um, as well. So that would have been the sort of the, the last one for Pennsylvania. And as far as the retention of the Welsh language is concerned, um, you know, definitely in the, in the Welsh barony, it continued well into the 19th century. There were still families who were using Welsh, even though they came very early on in, in the William Penn era. Um, there were still yeah. people who carried on the, the language in the family. Um, in the slate belt and in the coal in coal country, the language certainly continued into the into the 20th century. I knew people who could speak Welsh as a first language, um, you know, who were from Bangor, who were from um, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, um, in those areas. Um, so today, though, it's definitely very similar uh, to, you know, the Pennsylvania German who aren't Amish or Mennonite, you know, the, the worldly German who, who've lost the Pennsylvania German language. 
that's definitely true of Welsh Americans at this point. There really wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any communities left um, where Welsh is a, a normal day-to-day -day language, which was true in the 19th century. There was, certainly were um, all over the Northeast and, and really the capital of Welsh America was Utica, New York. Um, and uh, I knew a woman in Albany who, when her family came to, to New York, they said, well, you get off the boat in New York City and you take the train to Albany. Then you switch trains at Albany and you get on the train, you go to Utica and you just keep going until you hear people speak Welsh. And then you know you're Aww. in the um, That's so, awesome. Yeah. And so that would have been, you know, for her, that would have been early 20th century. So even in the early 20th century, there were still significant Welsh speakers in, in that area. I Again, and I knew people um, who were raised 100% born in the United States, but raised speaking Welsh um, from the Utica area, true also of Scranton, Wilkes-Barre um, and Bangor. Uh, not so true at this point. I mean, now you would be talking about their great, great grandchildren and the, the right. just isn't, isn't there. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because we watched um, a wonderful documentary, um, The Story of Wales, I believe it was called. And it was fascinating, but it talked about how um, Welsh people really came together when they were losing their language in Wales and really um, pulled things together and, and did the right move in and shaken and were able to uh, preserve it and have it brought back into the public school system. Of course, I think when we spoke privately, you know, we talked about how it would be so much different because it's so much smaller of an area and um, much more different government system than all of America or even just Pennsylvania to recognize Pennsylvania Dutch in that way um, is just such an undertaking. And there's definitely efforts to preserve. And I think it's really made an impact, but it is quite, quite difficult once it's been um, lost to this point and so it's it's just fascinating because the language i i feel like people and you may agree with this especially based on the way that you learned welsh i think almost there's a different um appreciation for it once it's starting to sort of disappear right so i think um now we're sort of in that place with pensafonish deitch um people are really trying hard in effort to just keep it alive so it just stays alive like it's going to like it's going to completely disappear if people stop speaking it so it's in, interesting to watch but i know when we spoke privately i asked you about how did you learn how to speak welsh and and your answer made me just so happy as like a i i was an art teacher and, and now i'm a homeschool mom so it just made my heart so happy so could you share that story with us because i love it well so i decided i wanted to learn welsh and this would have been back in the 1980s and, you know, this is before the internet, so there's no, you know, that wasn't an option. And I went to the local library, the, the, um, it's the Eastern Monroe County Public Library, because for whatever reason, we had to have more than one public library in Monroe County. So it was the Eastern Monroe County Public Library, the one that was based in Stroudsburg. And um, I went down and, and I said, do you have any books on Welsh language? And they had just begun really working in interlibrary loan at that time. And it, at that point, the interlibrary loan system was based on actual paper catalogs, um, just like phone books. So they would like publish this phone book like tome and distribute it to all the public libraries across the state. And 
you know, flip through it and find out if there was a Welsh book. So she found a, a book on how to learn Welsh called Teach Yourself Welsh by uh, T.H. Rhys, I think his name was. And it was published in 1923. It was at Clarion County Public Library. She made a telephone call and they sent it to, to Stroudsburg because and nothing was computerized. It was all done on paper and by telephone. And uh, and so that's where I began. And, and the book was, um, it was very formal Welsh, extremely formal Welsh that no one used in speaking. Um, but that didn't matter. That's where I got started with it. And then um, and then later on, I met, a, a, the, I met through letters um, people who spoke Welsh. I had some Welsh pen pals. And uh, there was this guy who was working for the Welsh American newspaper, Ninai. He was their Welsh language editor. And I had written a little article. It was my first article ever back in 1987. And it was in Welsh. It was for the Welsh page. And, um, and so, yeah, he sent me uh, a textbook with a, an LP vinyl record. So that was my first experience uh, with audio, with hearing Welsh as it was supposed to be spoken, not just described. And then, you know, I just kept working at it over the years. Um, so I, I definitely had a reading and a, a writing ability long before I had a speaking ability. But that's just the way it is when you want to learn a minority language when you're far away from other people who can speak it. And I was a teenager. I couldn't I couldn't just like drive to like I wasn't like a, an old teenager. I was a little teenager. I couldn't just like drive right. to Granton. And, you know, that was like a very far distance when I was, when I was young, Scranton was like a whole other world. You didn't just, you didn't just go from Monroe County to Scranton on a whim. That wasn't, that wasn't done. So, um, you know, I couldn't just like convince family members to take me to some Welsh thing. So it's, you know, and when I became an adult, then I could do more stuff on my own. When I got older, I could go to Scranton Wilkesbury when there'd be a Gaman Vagani, which is a, a hymn sing. Uh, it's a big part mm. of Welsh American culture at Gaman Vagani, um, or go down and, and meet people in Bangor, Penargil, and those things. And I got to be older, and then I got to go to college, um, and I was independent to do things on my own. And that's it. I mean, that was it. I just, you know, I just kept working on it for for a long time. And, um, you know, I've been to Wales now many, many times. I spent a lot of time in the northwest of Wales. So my Welsh is definitely northwest Welsh um, when I'm really speaking my Welsh. Because um, we have different, you know, there's like different registers of language, obviously. So like if sure. I'm speaking for a class or if I'm giving a presentation, I might modulate a bit my my Welsh to be a little bit more, not quite so Northwest, but when I'm really speaking my Welsh, <laughs> it's Northwest Wales. Um, and yeah, I've been teaching Welsh in the community for a long time. I started teaching Welsh, even at East Stroudsburg. We had a little at East Stroudsburg University where I went to undergrad. We had a little Welsh language group. And um, then at Binghamton University in the community, their Welsh society I taught for them. I taught for the Albany Welsh Society and taught for Cymdeithas Madog, which is um, an international organization. And we teach Welsh. Um, to people in North America, Canada, and the U.S. And typically, traditionally, wow. we have moved around the, the country and Canada, so both countries. Uh, since COVID, we've only been online, but we're hoping to have our live week-long live course back the summer of 2023. And we'll be in uh, Connecticut. So, so we hope. Oh, anyway. that's amazing. Yeah, there's nothing like learning a language in person. 
mm-hmm. and really immersing yourself in it and being able to conversate with people. That yeah. is so amazing. I was going to ask you if you if you ran into someone, I don't know who I'm talking about. I have no idea, but that wants to learn Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing so good with the Pensafanish Deitch. I might give up. I'm just kidding. Welsh is another tricky, tricky language. But what would you um, encourage people to do if they're like just starting out? I know there's a lot of really cool apps that are helpful with visuals and stuff, but what is your best advice? Um, and you could, again, mention the organization that you work with that's offering language courses right now. That's very wonderful to hear. Yep, that, that organization is called Comdathis Mad Dog. And their website, there's two websites. There, there's maddog.org and also speakwelsh.org. Those are two our two websites, our two URLs. And um, certainly you could start out with us. You know, we our online course, we'll have another weekend online course in January. Um, and actually, did I write, I have the dates right in front of me. Wow. Cause I have to, that's nice. Oh, wonderful. Uh, 127, uh, through 129. So the 27th, 28th and 29th, um, of January, we'll have that. And the summer course we shall be, and should be announcing at the beginning of January. We should have the dates shorn up by then, but typically it's the second or third week in July that we do that. The, oh, that's amazing. The cost for the, the, the online course is very low. Uh, I don't know what it will be this time around off the top of my head, um, but it's, it's, it's not expensive. It's like $150 to do that, something along that way. Nice. Um, the residential course is expensive because you're getting effectively really 10 days. It's a week, but then there's like mm. a day before and a day after usually, and sometimes two days before and a day after, depending on when you want to arrive. Um, so there's, it's, you know, your lodging, your meals, um, yeah. and course. And we typically bring over three tutors. We call them tutors in the British style of things, uh, from Wales, <laughs> we from North America. Um, and there is, it sounds, <laughs> sounds dreamy. I want to sign up right now. Wait, can I just escape? I need to escape Pennsylvania number one. And like, I just, I wish it were in the cards for me to go to Wales, but I don't feel it's in the cards for me for quite some time, I believe. And that makes my heart kind of sad because I'm aching for it. I don't know. COVID like shifted everything for me and all my priorities. And I kept putting it off and putting it off. And my mom really wanted to go and really wanted to go. And now she's getting older. And I'm like, oh, we shouldn't wait any longer. But I can't realistically imagine it. But it's also kind of like you just got to do it, right? (laughs) You just got to do it. There's never a good time. You know, yeah, and you never know. I mean, an opportunity may come along that you weren't looking for, or something you didn't think of, and and you'll be able to do it. The one good thing, I mean, well, there's many good things, but one one of the many good things about traveling to Wales, it's it's very accessible. Um, yes, on, on you so mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. Um, you know, it's 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 relatively easy to get around as long as somebody in your you know in your party can drive. Um, it is rural. Uh, right, right. You know, by UK standards, it's very rural, except for the South. So <laughs> to get out to see some of the neat stuff, you really do want to have a car and have someone who's brave enough to drive on the other side of the road. Um, <laughs> but, you know, now it's easy to rent um, an automatic transmission, which at that was not true uh, a few years ago. Now it's easy to get oh, goodness. Um, you know, you've got to be ready to pay, you know, seven or $8 a gallon for gas. That's just, that's just life. Sure. You know? Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. um, 
you know, drive on the other side of the road and, 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 you know, prepare yourself for the one lane roads that are, um, some we don't really have here in the, in the U S I mean, we, our roads are so wide. Whenever I come back mm. from Wales and I start driving, I'm like, Oh my God, there's just so much room. And I actually like, <laughs> find myself like going back and forth in the middle of the road, just because I have all this crazy room to just drive. Just because you can. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be <laughs> getting amazing. a house or anything. So, um, I just remember you telling me, I'm sorry. I just remember you telling me about the bathrooms and I'm like a person, I have to drink a lot because I have this ridiculous thing that makes me dry up really easily. Um, and so I just remember that was so important for me to hear. Like oh, yeah. you said, there's a lot more, a lot more bathrooms than when you went to Ireland, which is very important yes. to know. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that with me because I would be in trouble. I mean, <laughs> very big trouble. So I always kept that in the back of my head. I said to my husband, this is so cool that he told me this. Cause like now I feel like I'm all set. Like that's all I need. <laughs> Generally speaking, it's really easy to find a toilet in in, uh, yes. in Wales. There's easy, easy <laughs> to find a toilet, easy to find something to eat. Um, nice. Know, like anything that's like an established uh, tourist attraction of any size, if it's a castle or um, an historic home or, you know, a museum, it's going to have there's two things it's always going to have. It's going to have a toilet and it's going to have someplace to eat. Uh, and usually like the towns too, typically have public toilets that are, sometimes they're a little bit like, maybe we'll say uh, a little bit Eastern European, but you know, any port. <laughs> so, you know, the, the public conveniences sometimes are a little bit scary, but they're there, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you got to use it, you got to use it, you know, but the museums, like oh, yeah. a museum or any kind of an art space, a gallery, anything like that, they're going to have beautiful, wonderful bathrooms and always someplace to eat. So, yeah. you know, it's so funny because it's like, you don't think about that, but it's really important in my life now. Like we drove from Boyertown to Ocean City and I had to stop like three times. Like, it's just like such a part of my life now. So it's so funny as you age, things like that are really important become very clear. So that was really useful information. I really do appreciate it because yeah. now I'm like, oh, well, I was really looking into Ireland, but I don't know now so much, but it's really fascinating too Robert like I my whole entire like identity was kind of blown open in good ways like only like growing upon its it's already like solid roots which I had established in the last like 10 years or so just feeling really connected to who I am but using ancestry um it's really been wild because I had been told by my family like you know well, my mom said at least like, we're not even really that Welsh. And I was like, okay, but like, I feel really, really, really Welsh. And then, you know, I did the DNA kit, which, you know, it's sometimes controversial if it's very accurate, but it turned out and I just believe it because that's how I feel. Um, like I'm 62%, which is really like a huge mm -hmm. amount of who I am. And I really, I was trying to push myself into, um, like I'm a square peg and I'm pushing myself into a round hole. And it's really, um, really interesting because I feel like I didn't really need it to feel Welsh, but it did kind of help me because I was just my personality. I felt um, very disconnected to who I was. Um, you know, it wasn't really a big part of our, our upbringing, mm -hmm. our culture and our heritages. So it meant a lot to me to have kind of like receipts to say, well, I feel particularly the Irish part because I've 
always really been a huge fan of Irish music and I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't want to appropriate. And it seems to be, I had an Irish singing teacher that told me that's such an American thing, this like concern about appropriation. But mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess it is. Cause she was like, it's not really like that here. And you can still appreciate it as long as you're not like exploiting it. And I thought, well, that's understandable. But I think we're so conditioned to be um, in, in our generation anyway, in this, in this generation and time to be very, very careful about these things for good cause, you know? So um, I felt really excited to know that about myself and, and felt like really empowered when I found that out. And, you know, um, what, what do you think about that? I mean, have you always known, have you always known who you were because it was a part of how you were raised? And it was, you said you guys always kind of knew the Pennsylvania Dutch stuff. It was very subtle for us. Um, except for my very flamboyantly Pennsylvania Dutch grandmother. Um, (laughs) it was never really like over at my parents were very much like, this is a melting pot. We're Americans and we're hippies and, you know, like, let's all just groove, you know, (laughs) know? I'm interested in other people's experiences, especially when they're, they're coming from different, um, identities, you know? Um, so I'm just curious about that for you because you seem to have a great strong sense of identity. I was I was really raised, and, and my mother was too, by the last of the Victorians. And um, so my mother's side of the family had a lot more to do with my childhood than my father's side. I mean, it wasn't that they were, weren't present. The wealth side of the family was present, but I spent more time with my mother's side of the family. Um, and so I'm talking about people who were born, um, you know, at the turn of the last century. And in a few cases before the turn of the last century, I, I had relatives I knew as a child who were born in the 1880s and 1890s. Um, and so I, they, I don't want to make them sound unpatriotic. They, they weren't unpatriotic, but they didn't think of themselves as Americans. Um, they thought of themselves as Pennsylvanians. That was the way they thought of themselves. They didn't think of that. They didn't have that, like that came later in the middle of the 20th century, that sort of rah, rah American patriotism. So yes, I just, I wasn't raised with that. I was raised by these old Victorian Pennsylvania German people who didn't speak Pennsylvania German, but who were very, very much Pennsylvania German. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that they did. Um, and they, they really thought of themselves as Pennsylvanians and they thought of themselves as Pennsylvania German. Um, there was a family myth that went around because someone had done some genealogy that, that the Haggertys were really Irish, but um, similar to your story, I, I did the DNA test and, and I have some Irish in my background from the Welsh side. Me? I, I'm like, no, you know, what's weird about mine, Robert? It's my Pennsylvania Dutch grandmother. And I'm like, excuse me, Olive, excuse me. We have no, well, like I haven't been able to figure it out yet. It's really interesting. But it's not that unheard of, you know? (laughs) Yeah. There were a lot of Irish who were here fairly early. Um, Not as early as the Scottish, but there were fairly early. Um, And that's where it actually plays in in here in North America. When some of that family got to North America um, before the Joneses came. But um, there were other branches of the family who were here. And that's where the Irish mixed in there. So I, I have a little bit of Irish but um, my mother's side of the family, so the, you know, when they analyze it, they can show what's in the mother's side versus the father's side. And my mother has my mother's side has no Irish at all. 
um, they have Scottish, which I, I told my mother before she died. I'm like, you're not Irish. They told me I was Irish. They told me I was <laughs> You're not Irish. You, I have gone and done the research. This is before we did any of these DNA tests. So yes. Haggerty was Scottish, 100% Scottish. And they came here wow. in the 90s. She died never believing me. Oh, well, too bad for her. <laughs> What are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? You know, but um, but I, I, the irony is that I actually have, through my father's side of the family, some some Irish. Um, so, yeah. But I don't know. That's I don't, wild. I, I don't think it's, I don't know. I mean, is it, we, but, but you, the other question you were asking was, you know, yeah. I mean, so I always knew growing up, my mother's side of the family was Pennsylvania German with this fake Irish part. And then my father's side was, <laughs> Welsh, you know, and that was always the yeah. narrative. That was the family narrative. My last yeah. name was Jones, so I was interested yeah. in, in. We have Jones uh, too. Yep. Yeah, we're certainly related. I'm sure because we used to go to the Jones reunion in Burdenhand. <laughs> My Joneses came over uh, pretty late, though. They came over. In yeah. The 1920s. Yeah. Yeah, because Jones is not a very, uh, you know, common name or anything. <laughs> well, that's not at all. Yeah. You mentioned before <laughs> that the, um, you know, that it's hard to do Welsh genealogy and it really is because yes, yes. Um, the last names are not true family names. They're residual. Right. Mixed. So um, yeah, no, the Joneses aren't all related to each other at all. No, no, not at all. You know what else is really interesting too? Um, when I was growing up, so my dad's been a mystery for us. Like, turns out we're Scottish from him and Swedish. And I had zero idea, like zero, no idea. He already knew about the Swedish. I was like, excuse me. Um, and his mother, who was super, super duper Welsh, they would always say like, I don't know who they is, but I was always told you're English, you're English. And it's so interesting now that I know the history, like that's so, like it's painful for me, but that's through my context in my framework of like knowing you know um I don't know it just feels icky to me and I don't know if they were doing that like because now I'm thinking of it the Pensafanish states way like where we were assimilating because of anti-German hysteria and we were like sort of and I'm wondering is that why they were calling themselves English and it, it's really interesting to me um and then I remember my uncle on my mom's side my mom's brother saying well, we're not even that Welsh. Why do you have this flag on your card? I like incest me enough to that I would go and do all the research and found out quite frankly, sir, I am quite Welsh. Thank you very much. <laughs> but um, I'm like, I know there's a reason why like, I just, I felt so called to it. And in a way that even though I've immersed myself in Pennsylvania Dutch and become very, very interested um in the culture and the heritage and the language, it's more as, um, oh, I don't know, kind of trying to gain some of the um, respect that should have been given, I suppose, to my grandmother, particularly, because mm -hmm. I was very close with her, but um, I never felt personally so much that I could identify with it as much as I do with the Welsh. And it's so far away from me, you know? So it's just really interesting how these things um, maybe inherently or genetically come to the surface for people and they just find themselves more interested or drawn in. Mm -hmm. But um, it's fun to hear other people's experiences because sometimes I think of ancestry sort of kind of like I think of 
astrology. So I really like astrology. I think it's really fascinating and interesting, but you don't have to subscribe wholly to what they tell you you are. And, you know, your mother passed away thinking she was Irish. And does that make her any less Irish than if she had actual Irish blood? I don't know. So it's really a fascinating conversation, you know, because, you know, if someone is, for example, adopted and brought up in a certain kind of culture and heritage, the the differences between like ethnicity and identity are very fascinating to me. So I love all that stuff. But um, yeah, I could just go on and on and on about that. But I did want to ask you about that, because I think it's really, really neat. And I think ancestry um, DNA tests and all the other DNA tests are really, really cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's just really interesting to me. Um, yeah, I think it really, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it is self-identification and how you yes. identify yourself and, and right. lots of things that might go into why people do that. So as far as my mother was concerned, you know, she was Irish and Pennsylvania German. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, and she loved anything Irish. I mean, oh my God, you oh. know, you, you know, you you could, you know, I don't know, find a pig and stick a shamrock on it. My mother, oh my God, <laughs> it, it, was, it was ridiculous. And and you know, and I, 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 I never, I never, I never liked that she did that because I knew that wasn't true. You know, and I, I tried to right, sure, absolutely refused. Um, but you know. I certainly have heard other people talk about that. And there's, I think there's been some at least quasi serious, you know, if not studies questioning of, of, you know, the idea of genetic memory and what's being passed down to yes. us. And, and so, you know, that it's interesting that you, you had that affinity for whales and then it turned out that you had all this genetic material in your, in your Can body. you imagine, you know, can that, you imagine how excited I was? <laughs> I was like, take that uncle Dave. I am Welsh as fuck <laughs> <laughs> i'm really really for the hell with you yeah. um, and then they just kept like updating it and i was like oh my god i'm more welsh now this is amazing that that's my favorite part <laughs> i got i got more welsh too and the actual welsh percentage is, is fairly low for me um but but so that's actually what's interesting about that you you went through ancestry and you got a really high welsh score because that's a very particular group, and I'm not I'm not a, a geneticist. So I'm not going to use the terms at all because I'm going to use them incorrectly. But the you know the the, the markers for whales is a very particular population. Um, so I have some of those, but then I have a lot that are just sort of generic, you know, British Isles, which I'm not surprised by because you know, Wales is also a crossroads. I I have I have friends in Wales who um, whose grant whose parents and grandparents emigrated from Ireland. Um, and so they yes. in in the 20th century um, at, right. as I know, I guess, what would we say, Urso Welsh, you know, that they were, mm -hmm. um, you know, they had that, that identity. So there's and there's been, you know, even back from the fall of the Roman Empire, people moving mm. into West Wales from Ireland. Yes. So back and forth and back. So when you have those truly like truly in quotation marks, Welsh markers. Um, yes. that is really kind of telling that you know, your ancestors, not only were they in Wales, but they didn't move around a lot for a while. Like they, <laughs> they were part of that population that really stuck to Wales. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, that's interesting. I mean, so, but mine, mine also went up like my whole, my whole Welsh and British Isles segment. Like, I don't remember what it was to begin with, but I noticed the last time it had gone up, they did some deeper analysis of the, of the stuff, I guess, but. <laughs> 
you know, when I look at mine, it's, it's, um, you know, British Isles and then Germanic Europe. Yeah, that's what they call mine too. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting, you know, because really when we're talking about the particular ancestors, it was not Germany. So it's very, very yeah, cool. I mean, my, I know that we had German ancestors who were mm -hmm. in the Ukraine. So they had gone wow. over as the German Germanic peoples were colonizing the eastern part. Right. Of Europe. They went over oh, yeah. to uh, to the Ukraine. So, um, yeah, you know. Well, you know what? It's really cool too, Robert. Because so our family, my grandmother, the Super Deutscher, um, she has you know we're we're of the Turk descendants as well, and that literally trans translates to the Turks and. Yeah. Um, my aunt on my mom's side has this very rare genetic um, like autoimmune issue that only Turkish people have. And it's like, it doesn't even come up on ancestry, but it's definitely like there. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating. And then the whole Alsace, like the people in our family that were from the Alsace, it's just really interesting. Yeah. But what's really cool. And I feel like this is turning into like a commercial for ancestry, but I, I really, I'm a visual learner, right? So I love all of the, um, visual displays that they give you and the way they break down, you know, which parent it's from and everything. But what I really love the most is where they actually, you can click on an ancestor and see them on the map, like where they were, which is very, mm -hmm. very cool. I love yeah. that part. So that's been really neat. We still haven't found the little Irish person though on my grandmother's side. I'm like, I gotta find this person because you know, we gotta learn everything about it, but it's really, really neat. Um, just very, very cool. So, that was super fun to talk about because I just love it so much. And I, I find it really fascinating. Like I want to do it with my dogs now because it's like, I sit and I try and figure out like, what are they really? Cause you know, we rescued them and it's like, you never know, but um, it's really fun. I think it's really interesting and fun. And I don't plan on committing any crimes or anything. So I'm not worried about my DNA out there. So uh, my husband says <laughs> differently, but it's, it's really funny. He's just like, I'm not sure about it. And I was like, I know, but it would be such a gift for, you know, the kids to know it's kind of, it's, I mean, I grew up not having that sense of belonging, so I feel really like energized by it. But some people don't really need it. I think some people feel like they just kind of know, you know, which is really cool. But um, I have a very close friend, Rob, um, who actually found he's like almost 100 percent early Pennsylvania settlers German. But then he did find he had some also Native American in his um, ancestry, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. So that's very, very, very neat. Yeah. So let's. Oh, I was just going to oh, say another family story on my mother's side. They're like, oh, we're we're also French and Indian. I said, that's not a thing. And they're like, oh, no, it is. <laughs> it's, it's our, the, we've always been told that. And I, and there is zero Native American <laughs> ancestry at our, any, at either side. Zero. <laughs> There's none. So they're one of those family stories. Oh, that's stories so awkward, that right? <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. And I think he said he was actually Lenape, which is very cool because one of yeah, one of our like, um, one of the families in our in our tree um, was here very, very early. And, um, you know, kind of learning, you know, the Lenape tribe was very, very friendly. And then French and Indian War came and it was a really very difficult time for um, the early Pennsylvania settlers, as well as the, as the natives. So it's just very interesting. And um, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, it's it's so funny, because I feel there's the the whole idea of ancestral trauma too that I find really interesting as well and just kind of 
watching that documentary was really difficult because Tara was looking to like connect to whales and have like, you know, who's the guy from PBS that would take you around? Rick Steves. I'm like looking for a Rick oh, Steves yeah. experience. And it was really dark, but it was like honest. It was like true. Mm-hmm. And it was just really hard to um to digest, I think, just like mentally. It was just really sad. I mean, the Welsh people just over and over and over again were occupied and just treated so, so, so terribly. So it was really difficult um, in that respect. But at the end, it was kind of neat to see um, what, you know, contemporary Welsh people live like. And there was one poet at the end. I don't know if you've seen this documentary, but she said um, the really cool thing about Wales now is because of being, you know, occupied or, or um, not really having a cohesive um, identity for a very long time that now there's like this sort of freedom in that. And now they can kind of invent their own like ways of living and traditions and it's very freeing. And I thought that was a really beautiful way to kind of see <laughs> really good silver lining in, in what was like a very difficult um documentary to watch but yeah i think that you know modern whales there's still a lot of 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 problems and a lot of issues to overcome um and and the process of colonization isn't over um you know not just because wales is part of the united kingdom but um right still attractive for um people to move in from wealthier areas of england like london and manchester and birmingham um, they will move in, they will buy homes, um, and sometimes they live in them, but more often they use them as, you know, summer homes. Once those homes are taken off the market, you know, now there are fewer homes for people who were born in Wales and right. they stay there. They want to raise their family in Wales. They're unable to do that. They're unable to afford it. And then ironically, they end up moving to those very self-same cities, but sometimes, to the inner city, so inner city Manchester, inner city of Birmingham, you know, in mm-hmm. areas of London, because they can find jobs and they can find affordable housing that they can't find at home in Wales. So um, that process is 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 that's a big issue right now. That that concept of what's called a dev evo, um, an act of um, an act of belonging. Like if you, you know, they, mm. they're trying to put together. Um, certain activists anyway are trying to put together an an act an act of law that would benefit people who were born in wales to be able to buy a home or to be able to stay there um to limit the number of second homes summer homes in particular um that you know has become a crisis point in some small villages in wales where off season there's only maybe 40 or 50 actual residents even though the village could hold five or 600 people, but there's no one there because it's all summer homes. Um, you know, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that colonization process isn't over. Um, I think though, Mm. part of what you were saying, and I'm, I'm curious if you ever, if you can remember the name of the poet, but, um, there is a strong sense of nationalism in Wales. Um, yes. And and an ind- a growing, a strengthening independence movement. Welsh nationalism, though, is not ethnic nationalism; it's civic nationalism. So mm-hmm. it is to to create for the people of Wales a better and fairer society, um, mm-hmm. and that 
that includes English Welsh people, you know, English speaking Welsh people, Welsh speaking Welsh people, um, and also to increase the profile of um, the reality that not everybody who speaks Welsh, for example, is white. And I think that, right. you know, yeah. outside of outside of Wales, people are always surprised when they encounter a black person who speaks Welsh. <laughs> but there are. And there are Asian people who speak yes. Welsh. So, you know, um, in yeah. Asian, East Asian and Indian, South Asian, um, you know, so that always surprises people that 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 exists, but it does exist. And so Wales is a small and multi-ethnic country. It is a bilingual country. Um, and, um, and it's a country that is, it is a country. Um, it is also a colony. Um, you know, it's run mm. still very much as a colony. Uh, at least now there yes. is a national government <laughs> in Wales. Um, but, you know, I think Scotland is leading the way. And I think Wales is finally starting to say we've had enough of this. We can do better on mm. our own. Uh, well, we can do better without the United Kingdom, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Most people yeah. who want to have an independent Wales want to have a, a Welsh Republic that is a member of the European Union. You know, they want to they want to look more like Ireland. And uh, right, right. We'll see. I don't know. You know, I've I've been watching that for most of my life. We'll see what goes on. I don't know. I I would like it to happen before I die. But I keep getting older and it still hasn't happened. So I don't know. Right. I know. I know it's wild. And then there's all these other things going on that just kind of, you know, re recalibrate everything. Um I wish I knew her name too, and I wish I had the quote in front of me. I'll have to add it um maybe in the show notes or something. But it was it was I mean, maybe it was for the documentary to kind of leave it on an up up note, but it was it was nice to hear. It was invigorating. Um Yeah. Things are definitely yeah. Yeah, it was like it was a dark it was a dark story, a very long dark story, but um one of the things that you brought up I was going to actually ask you about because one of the things that they talked about in the documentary is how it became um such a place for trade and there's a neighborhood that's like or 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 an area, not a neighborhood, like a town that's very multicultural because it's um or diverse, I should say, um because it's like a port and he was the man on the film was African of descent, I think from Africa or his family was or something like that. But anyway, he was talking about how much he much prefers being a Welsh speaking person over an English or a British person. I don't know. It was all very interesting. <laughs> I really liked that part, but mm-hmm. I'm misquoting it terribly. So I will probably cut this out, but he was really cool to hear um, yeah, how diverse I, I, it was. It was cool. It's not that, that there's never been any kind of racism or, you know, prejudice. Oh, of and there certainly has been, but I think that by large and far Welsh people tend to be more live and let live and yeah. more relaxed. Um, and, you know, like there's very, there's a very famous Chanteuse. She lives in Manhattan now, uh, but her name is Iris Williams. And she's, um, so her father was a, an American GI a black, an, you know, an African American, um, right? Yeah, in World War II, and her mother was Welsh, and she was raised in um, in Cardiff and Tiger Bay, uh, which was the area where a lot of immigrants ended up, and that probably is where that was filmed. You know, that's the the most famous sort of you know um, poor area in in Cardiff in the capital. There's there's two Swansea and, and Cardiff is the is the capital. Swansea is another big port. 
and, yeah, and I feel like I, it was Swansea because that sticks out to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember they did a lot on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another big port, yeah. And though in both Cardiff and Swansea were 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 squished during the Blitz, and so they had to rebuild everything. And um, you know, Iris Williams didn't grow up speaking Welsh, but she had she had a Welsh language piano teacher. So her mother is like, "Well, you go learn piano with Miss whatever her name was." Um, she <laughs> learned Welsh, and she she ended up becoming famous in Wales, singing in Welsh. That's what started her entire wow. career, and now she's. You know, like there, there were three of them. They were like the sex gods from the slag heaps. Um, you know, the South Welsh coal mines. There was Tom Jones, aha, mm-hmm. uh-huh, right? yes, uh, and um, Shirley Bassey, who's also of African uh, heritage, and Iris Williams. Those were the three biggies from the nineteen sixties and seventies from South Wales who became world famous. Um, wow. So if you don't know all three of them, you can look them up. They are. I mean, Tom Jones, I'm sure you know, but um, Shirley Bassey. Oh, yeah. And Iris Williams are the other two. Um, Tom Jones is not of African descent. He is. He's he's just Welsh. But um, you know, um, Shirley Bassey and um, and Iris Williams have that heritage. And they they both they both came from, as I recall, Tiger Bay in uh, in Cardiff. Uh, that's where they were raised. And they, and they were. I mean, those were poor industrial areas. They were, you know, working class. You know, poor. It, 20th century Welsh poor versus American 20th century poor is pretty different. I mean, oh yeah, I think you, you were worse off in America in the 20th century and being in an industrial area than in Wales, but you know, it's all relative. Um, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. That's fascinating. Um, well, Robert, my goodness, we could just go on and on and on about Wales, but I do want to definitely talk to you a bit about your shop because I'm. Mm-hmm. just I want to come over and spend all my time like absorbing it all of course we're a bit far away from each other uh, each other but I'd sort of like to know what what brought you to opening the shop and could you tell us about the shop and the name and how people can find you and the kinds of things that you sell and um, what need are you filling if you are in the community or um, how, how's that all come together for you? It's, it's a very beautiful, and I love the graphic design. I love the logo and the sign. It's beautiful. So can you tell well, us about that? Yeah. So the graphic design, let me, you know, give a, a shout out to Fleck, which is um, a local graphic design and marketing company in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. That's who did that. They are wonderful to work with. So if anybody's listening and you, I mean, I'm sure they would take a client from anywhere in, in the country. Um, but yeah, they're it's beautiful. Very, uh, they did a great job on that. They also designed the website. So the website, the sign, all those things uh, came from Fleck, F-L-E-K. Um, and so I worked for, um, I always tell people I did 27 years upstate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, I did. I lived in upstate New York for 27 years and it felt like a prison sentence. Um, and I, I, I worked for 27 years for some iteration of the State University of New York. Uh, primarily at a small community college in um, about 45 miles uh, west, northwest of Albany. After I was there for 20 years, my position was retrenched, which in academies means they got rid of me and uh, it became the first SUNY not to offer foreign language because that's what I taught there. So I'm not bitter at all about that. Um, (laughs) 
I was then I went and got a job at system administration in downtown Albany at, for SUNY online in their IT, um, basically IT um, support for online learning because uh, I had taught online for forever since the beginning of online learning, online teaching with SUNY back in the in the aughts. And it was all right. It was our job, but it was boring. And we came up, mm -hmm. I had for the first time in my life, we could go on vacation, like like a real vacation in the middle of October, but it was COVID. So the, there were only so many mm -hmm. places we could go. So we decided we would go to Vermont. And on the way back, my spouse said, you know, we could just move to Vermont. And the reason being is that um, he works for a German multinational and they said, you guys are never coming back to an office. So you're, you're working from home for good. That's it. We're, we're getting rid of this wow. real estate. So we could be anywhere. And I had this sort of like, you know, sort of dead endish job in, in SUNY online. you know, I mean, there was no, there was nowhere to go in that. I'd have to go, you know, I was playing right. a state job or something um, where there'd actually be real promotions and things. And so we moved here. We found a place in Lunenburg, Vermont, which is in the extreme eastern northeastern corner really of the northeast kingdom we can see new hampshire from our house and oh, i said well wow. what am i gonna do so i said maybe i'll open up a store and um <laughs> that was it i i thought about it i came up with the name aspredoliaith which is welsh for inspiration and it's called aspredoliaith curiosity shop and then in french magasin de curiosité because we have quite a few french speakers around here um, and, um, and, and so, you know, what need is it filling? Well, it's a, it's a gift and import store with uh, a lot of, uh, inspiration from Wales and Pennsylvania, German country. So I've got your stuff and I've got, yeah. uh, I've got some books, um, you know, uh, from, uh, Patrick Donmoyer. I've got, uh, Doug Maddenford's book from, uh, yeah. Uh, the, to learn uh, Daesh and uh, I've got Robisonia Redware. Yes. Yeah. I saw oh. that. Wonderful. Yeah. So I've got some good nods to my Pennsylvania German heritage in there. Um, and as a quick aside, by the way, there was a woman in the store two days ago. <laughs> I'm close on Mondays and Tuesdays right now. So it was like Saturday. I think it was Saturday she was in. Um, She's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I love Rachel's work. So you have a fan in St. Johnsbury. Oh, my goodness. She's, that uh, makes my heart so happy. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I was really excited when you reached out to me. And I didn't really know that you had all these connections and everything. And it's, this is why I love social media. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to not love it. But these kinds of connections are why I so much love it. And that's so nice to hear. And again, thank you for carrying my work. It's, it, was, it, it was a really nice um, opportunity for me. Um, I really only sell it at like the Schwankfelder and then I do vending events. <laughs> it's like very, I keep it to a minimum, but I was like, definitely have to do this. I was very excited that it was a, a Welsh, a Welsh name. And I am not even going to try and say it, but I love, I loved it so much. I fell in love immediately. And of course the logo had me right away. So big yeah. shout out to Fleck. I, I love it. It's wonderful. And the website's wonderful. So people can reach out and um, also shop online if they're not local as well. You have all Absolutely. kinds of good stuff. Oh, yeah. I was just, I was filling the cart one day and I was like, I really need to get some money. We should have just done a trade. You have some wonderful tea towels that I fell in love with. You have the Welsh cookies, um, the Welsh love spoons. Oh my gosh, I was in heaven. Just gorgeous. And 
and high end, like not high end, like price, but you know, you're getting real craftspeople to make these things. Um, really, yep. yeah, really that's beautiful really, collection I mean, it's, of it's, things. It's yep, it's definitely a curated collection. It's not just yeah, just stuff. Um, and you know what need is a filling in the community. You know, St. Johnsbury is definitely you know it's on it's on the way back up. You know, it's it, it had a few yeah. dark years and. Uh, um, you know, it wasn't awful. I don't think St. Johnsbury was ever awful, but you know, right now there's a lot of new stuff moving in downtown, new restaurants, new stores. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're looking to attract some of those tourists from Boston, especially that's the, the places where we get tourists from are from, from Montreal, Quebec in general, cause we're so close. Um, okay. uh, and then Boston, you know, we don't get a lot of people okay. from more exotic locales, but um, it's a long way to New York City. It's not so far from Boston, but you know, as far gotcha. as from Boston, it's another two hours to New York City. So it, you know, we get fewer people from there, but we're only like three hours from Montreal. We're only like wow, an that's hour. That's amazing. Yeah, our 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 closest actual like big city is Sherbrooke in Quebec. Um, so yeah, and now that the border is open again, people are coming, and um, yes, so. But we get people from other weird places. Like there was a woman from Wales in the store the other day too. I, the same. The no same way. Thing. Yeah, she was. She, that is so cool. I know. And there's there's all kinds of weird like people who've been to Wales. And there's this woman from yeah. England, from Essex in England. But her grandmother's from Ahonda in South Wales. And she came in and she spoke. Uh, she didn't speak Welsh, but she, she could sing the national anthem. And she did. Um so she sung it in the store to prove that she can sing. That's amazing. Oh gosh, I love it. I feel like you need a film crew. I want to hear I want to hear all of these people's stories. I love it so much. I just love oh, I just love it. I have some friends here in Boyertown that have shops and um I just I'm always rooting for, you know, people that are again with the curated collections and supporting um artists and artisans and craftspeople and really you know, putting together just, it's such a gift and such, such a gift to the community and such a gift to, you know, online communities that can access the website. And it's just, it's, it's really neat. It's like a destination to go to your website because you know, you're going to get high quality things, which I love so much. And I love being a part of it. And um, I really love that I'm both Welsh and Pennsylvania Dutch and that I'm in your shop. It just feels really right. Yeah, it does. It, make gets, it. Me, it gets me all the feels. <laughs> Well, maybe you missed, I mean, you know, like, actually, I wouldn't want to say you missed out, but like you sort of just like geographically missed out because there's so many Welsh and Pennsylvania German people in that, like between Monroe County and Northampton County, that, that slate belt, you know, there's so many, it's a really, it's a lot of, it's, you've missed your kindred by accident, by geography. I know, you know what though I'm finding them, which is exciting because you know, I'm just stumbling upon them. And what happens before COVID is whenever we were vending, I often will use um, some imagery that's Welsh or like my husband started to do the Welsh dragon. Mm-hmm. He did it as a hex sign. And then I'll do like a love knot, um, sometimes incorporate that into a hex sign. And people are always, oh, I'm Welsh too. And then we get to talking and stuff. And it's very common. And then, and then interestingly enough, while I was working at the Schweinfelder, um, one of my coworkers, Hunt, who's our archivist, is also Welsh and Pennsylvania Dutch. And he and I started to do a little bit of um, researching and digging about um, sort of how common that is and also how neat it was um, 
well, that actually has nothing to do with being Welsh, but <laughs> actually, I think my grandmother on the Fisher side actually has a little Welsh in her, which was also a big surprise, but not a big surprise if you think about it, like we're talking about. Um, but yeah, like the Fishers are Schweinfelders, and then they're also, they have that little bit of Welsh uh, from her. But you know what's, just really quickly, I know we're kind of going backwards a little bit, but I, I've heard some things about, you know, the 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 Welsh people that came here a little bit before really the Pennsylvania Dutch people were starting to settle and everything sometimes had a little bit of um, not great feelings about the Pennsylvania Dutch. I've heard that a little bit. I'm thinking of like um, the Ben Franklin experience, that kind of like that attitude kind of towards the Welsh. And I've only heard that a little bit um, because I know a lot of the Quakers were influential, even to the Schweinfelders, you know, they were also of the inner light belief the Schweinfelder religion but mm -hmm. um I've only heard it a little bit and I remember think I remember a Morgantown for some reason sticking out and that was kind of a little sad to hear because that whole experience of um like how Ben Franklin felt about the Pennsylvania Dutch was really really hard to um hear as somebody who was raised you know thinking of him as a hero so it's interesting the things you learn as an adult <laughs> that are very different from what you learn as a child but um, I'm not immediately familiar with anything like that, but it's not, a, yeah. you know, yeah. It's, Human nature, right? Humans, yeah. Humans are tribal and, you know, yes. I, I think that Welsh Quakers already felt kind of persecuted. So maybe, you know, but that you yes. know, always happens to like with the miners, you know, you, you always yeah. see those people to be like, oh yeah, my, my father came over and he was a miner and da, 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 da. yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? When you look at like Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, do you know where almost all mm -hmm. Welsh ended up? No, they ended where? up in Kingston, which is above Wilkes-Barre on the hill. Oh, they ended up in the posh part of town. So really, <laughs> so a lot of the Welsh people who came over as quote unquote miners, they mm -hmm. came over a lot of times as mine bosses. Not not all of them. Some of them were down, right, right, the right. But but it was really really common for yeah. for that to happen so you, you, that was a pretty quick like quick transition with the molly mcguire right. and jim thorpe um, right right you know, the miners were irish and polish and italian and the managers mm. were english and welsh um so yeah you know sometimes yeah, because they were yeah i mean from the documentary even they were saying because they were so good at it people sought them out you know yep yeah yep that's really interesting so maybe those well i'm not were like, you know, like they were, they felt persecuted as Quakers. They felt persecuted as Welsh speakers. Mm. Yes. But then they got here and it was, maybe they felt they could persecute somebody else. I don't know. I'm, right. I'm not familiar and with that's, it, but I know that's real. That is human nature after all, but it's interesting because I'm not sure if you're familiar in our area, very close to Boyertown, there's a place called Pottstown and it was um, established by the Potts family. And it's a place called Pottsgrove Manor and they were very wealthy Welsh family, um, I think iron, they were iron ore, they had the um, iron thing going, but very wealthy, mm -hmm. you know, established Pottstown, it's really interesting, so they're like, popping up everywhere, so fascinating, no, I, yeah, you know, like, I feel like I interact with that kindred so much, but we just don't ever, it never comes up in conversation, because it's always about the Pennsylvania Dutch, so I'm starting to kind of branch out from that um, immersion of 10 years, and I really want to get more in touch with the Welsh side because it's calling me and hopefully I'll get over there soon. It'd be really, really fun. Yeah. So, 
Um, I think if I came to, if I came to one of your weekends, I'd be on the fast track to wanting to go. Sounds wonderful. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so Robert, but, before, oh yeah, yeah no, go you go ahead. Nope. You go ahead. No, really go. <laughs> oh no, I just, I, I, I didn't know if I had answered all the questions about the store that you wanted to, wanted to go over. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the store um, because that's really what I really wanted to share because it's really fascinating. We got so much into the ancestry and stuff, but um, like I, you know, just being a small business owner and be, being able to do what I love, like, doesn't it just make you feel all the goodness inside? But it's also a lot of hard work. So, you know, um, like, so you, you, I mean, you just kind of came up with the idea and how long, what was the journey like for you? How long did it take you to get everything established? And uh, were you selling online first? Um, no, uh, simultaneously. I mean, technically the brick and mortar first, but the, the online came, you know, within weeks after that. It was so pretty much always meant to be a two-pronged uh, process. And, um, you know, we moved up here. It'll be a year ago. Really, it's been just about a year I started looking wow. for back in January and you know, I found some place in, you know, in February, signed a lease and began, you know, buying stuff in April and putting, um, you know, fixtures together and all that and uh, opened on the 5th of May. And, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, cause we did live in upstate New York for a long, long time, everything, New York state truly. I mean, I hate to sound like a, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record with, with a lot of other people who are, you know, sort of down on, on New York State, but things are really difficult to do in New York, like anything you want to do. Mm. Anything. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we had rental property. Um, you know, I was a landlord for 18 years in, in, in New York, and anything you had to do was a process, a big process. So I thought, oh, oh yes. God, open up this business. It's going to be like hell. It was so easy. <laughs> Vermont. Wow. You want to open up a business? Come to Vermont. It's so easy <laughs> to do it. They, the, it's all done online. You don't need lawyers. Um, you set up wow. all your accounts. Boom, bada, bing. You pay your fees. You got to pay your fees. But um, oh yeah, you know, as as long as you're not actually building a building or buying a building that needs any kind of environmental mitigation, that can be a stumbling block in Vermont. But um, if you're yeah. just a tenant, you're going to rent a store space. You know, getting you know, incorporated and getting your account set up with the tax department. It's all real. And, and the amazing thing is that if you get stuck somewhere, you can call the state government on the telephone and somebody <laughs> answers the phone and they're helpful. It's really weird. That's insane. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The state of Vermont made it really, really easy. The hardest thing was getting my sign out on the front of the building because the downtown yes. Donsbury has some rules, you know, there's some rules about how big the sign can be and what it can be made out of. And it has to be approved um, by, you know, a division of the zoning board. So um, yeah, other than that, you know, it's been pretty easy. I've got, I've got great landlords. I love my landlords. Um, you know, so yeah, uh, it's been, it was a, it was a great process and um yeah. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I liked, I like to go recreational shopping. So yes. I to create a store that would be the kind of store I'd like to go to. And that's what I did. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. That's what I was kind of wondering. Cause I'm just like, it sounds like a dream, but you know, I know how much hard work goes into it. Cause I have people that 
that have their own small businesses and stores. And it's a lot, a lot of different things that you start to wear as hats, you know, different, mm-hmm. different parts of the business. Hi, sweetie. Um, that's really interesting though. I love that. Um, so what is your, let me, let me ask you a fun question. What is your favorite Welsh word or phrase? What is your favorite thing to say in Welsh? Oh dear. I mean, that's, um, that's a tough one because it's, um, you know, like, we, I have a, an online Welsh student who's up in Toronto right now, and we were just saying how, how, how much we like the word for garbage in Welsh. <laughs> it sounds really nice, like spuriel. Spuriel, it's a great sounding word. I don't know if that's my favorite word, but um, yeah, it is. it's a nice word for garbage. <laughs> the prettiest word for garbage I know of any, in any language, a spuriel. Um, <laughs> You know, there's lots of cool words in Welsh that don't really translate into English. Uh, words like kinevin, which is like your connection to the place where you live in your environment. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, the old nugget hiraith, which is some people say it just means longing or nostalgia, but it doesn't really just mean that. It's, it's a combination of longing, nostalgia, desire for a place, a person, mm. uh, a thing, a state of being that you had in the past or may want to have in the future, but you know that you can never have it. It's hirai, you know, and English speakers feel that, but they don't have a word for it. Um, glesni is like in the springtime when, um, when everything's turning green, a glesni that um, mm. well, there's like words like that that are cool concepts that um, yeah. we we know what they are in English we just don't have a single word for it um, right right yeah that's that's really interesting I'm I'm a huge fan of Sharon Blackie's work and she's um she's living in Wales right now but she is um sort of an authority on the uh, gods and goddesses and the archetypes of mm-hmm. the Celtic lands and she always shares neat words like that where you you just don't have a word for it in english that you can that you can encompass it in the same way and many different languages have that which is really fascinating and neat in fact oh. that irish that irish singing teacher has that too she would share a lot of really cool stuff but yeah words the, the irish would have words like that too Manwenta, yeah we were talking about today Manwenta. um so Manwent is is the graveyard and it actually is borrowed mm. from, latin, from monumentum or monumentus in latin but then the Welsh took the word manwent and they at, turned it into a verb, manwenta. And manwenta is the, the, the hobby or practice of going to a cemetery to walk around and look at the graves for enjoyment. So I do this all day, every day. This is so funny. That so is so cool. There's actually a word. I mean, people again, Americans do that. People who speak English do that, but oh, they don't yeah. have a word for it. You know, you we don't it, have a word. You know, what's he doing? What's he doing? Oh, he's my own manwenta. He's 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 <laughs> wandering around a graveyard for fun. <laughs> oh my gosh! Manwenta. I I'm I'm terribly guilty of enjoying the company of those that have passed much more than those that are here. Sometimes, yeah, it's it's a lot easier to have a conversation these days. With <laughs> I'm coming around. I'm coming back to reality. Um, it's very interesting. But yeah, I just. I feel so peaceful in um, in a cemetery. It's very strange, very very strange. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not really strange, but strange to my family. I should say, <laughs> not my family now. My family growing up. 
Yeah, when I was a little girl, Robert, I would drive with my mom going to my preschool and I would say, there's my school. And it was just like a cemetery. Like I was always that kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. So I love it though. It's, it's like my favorite place. It's where I go to center myself. So it doesn't hurt that it's in the Ole Valley too. And it's just absolutely beautiful. So it's my favorite place to go. I love it. Um, so let me also just mention as well that you're a writer. And I see here that you um, were awarded the David Lewin, the, I hope I said that right, Williams Prize for Welsh Language Poem in North America. And um, this happened in September. So yep. congratulations. That's very, very cool. Thank you. So you're also a writer and you speak a couple different languages. I'm just looking at your um, Facebook, which is like the new, the new way to look at um, someone's credentials, right? <laughs> yep. But you have you have quite a wonderful background, so it's really interesting. So it must have been something. I loved your story so much because I remember you saying, "I think you said you were 11 when you went to the library because you wanted to learn Welsh." Yes. And I thought that's yeah. a really cool because you were quite young. And when I was 11, I was like really just trying to figure out how to get myself together in general. So. I was really moved by that um, because they, um, you clearly had you had a real interest and passion for it. Well, you know, I, I mean, it was a it was a, a different time, and and you know, yes. you, um, I mean, it is sort of true. You know, your parents were like, "Oh, just go do something and get out of my hair." So, oh we had yeah. But <laughs> by that time, we had a county bus system under county transit uh, authority, and I could go down to I had had to walk a mile to get to the bus stop, but the bus stop came on Route Six Eleven, and I could go took the bus to Stroudsburg, you know, went to the library on my own. So, yeah, but, you know. That's a, really cool. It was a good way to, you know, get rid of me for three or four hours. And, you know, the worst that could happen is I, I, I missed the last bus and someone would have to come to town to pick me up. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, that was, yeah, it was one of my favorite things to go and, you know, take the bus down to downtown and go to the library and, you know, you know, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I might have been precocious, but there was nothing. I mean, I grew up in Bartonsville. There was nothing in Bartonsville. <laughs> then there was nothing in Bartonsville. There were, now <clears throat> it's a whole different world. You know, Bartonsville has like this multi-story hospital and supermarkets. Oh, wow. There was nothing in Bartonsville. When I, you would walk to the four corners, the old mill was there. There was a gas station, a par gas company, and the post office. And that's the only thing that was in down, downtown Bartonsville. And if you went to the left from there and you headed towards Stroudsburg, we used to have a giant truck stop, a Union 76 truck stop and um, and uh, a truck wash and a porn shop. That's what we had in Boston. <laughs> oh, yeah. The classic. For an 11-year-old kid. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I that, yeah, that's kind of. Stroudsburg. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. No, it's so interesting because, you know, I was never very, very interested in academics at that age. So I always, as a teacher, I know, you know, when I see a natural learner, it just, it makes me really happy. Um, but I was like that with art. So it's like, you know, there's just people that have this drive in them to learn, um, whether it's art or language, but, you know, it's, it's definitely something different with your brain that you can, you can learn languages and be so well-spoken in them because that's one of the things with Pennsylvania Dutch and I imagine with Welsh because there's certainly going to have to be nuanced accents and whatnot, but you sound, it doesn't, well, I mean, I shouldn't speak on it because I don't speak to many Welsh people that speak Welsh, but I mean, it's very, it's complex to learn a language because you can learn the language, but then actually speaking it properly and mm -hmm. 
um, all the things that a linguist would know the words to say about that. So I, I, I'm always really profoundly um, impressed by people that can learn multiple languages because I think it's just really neat and just how that can, must work in your brain when you're turning it on and off and thinking. Do you sometimes find yourself thinking in Welsh or in one of the other languages you know and then kind of, you know, sw- having to remind yourself? I know Doug will kind of switch on and off because um, he teaches German, but he speaks Pennsylvanish Deutsch and he'll kind of do that sometimes. He'll like be in the middle of saying something and be pulling the German word. Yeah. The, I always find that part interesting. Some of the languages I have, I have better bridges between than others. So um, mm. back and forth between Welsh and English is, is not ever really a problem. Um, and then there's also in, when you're, when you're speaking Welsh, there's sort of an, um, an interlanguage, you know, that's, that's a way of speaking English in a Welsh way that's typical mm. to it's a that in of itself is a bridge but my bridge between Welsh and English is pretty good and my bridge between between French and English or French and Spanish is pretty good but I you know I would have students in my French class sometimes who were native Spanish speakers and they would ask me a question in Spanish I said well that's great you can't do that because I'm not going to be able to go back to French right now I'll be stu- I'll be in I'll be in <laughs> Spanish mode because you've spoken to me in Spanish and so my bridge will have gone over to Spanish now I got to pull my self back to go to the French part. You know, it's not really, right. I, I, it's not that compartmentalized. It's just where there's pathways, I think. And um, mm. that's what I mean by bridges. I mean, I think it really is a right, right. pathways. And yes. I don't switch between French and Spanish normally, but I do switch between right. English and any of those all the time. So um, yeah, but I can do wow. Welsh to French and Welsh to Spanish okay too. I think the neural pathways between Welsh and English for me are just close enough that I can, that the bridges are close enough because I do, right. I do meet people who are, you know, like they're, they're associated with Patagonia, the Welsh colony in Argentina. So I, I do use mm. Welsh and Spanish side by side fairly often. Oh, um, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's very, very cool. I just, that just always makes, makes me interested how that works because, you know, I think of it sometimes I can switch very easily between painting and graphic design. And I know that's sort of similar. It's just a a totally different thing. But Mm -hmm. for me, it's just, you know, just my brain works like that. So it's really very interesting. Well, Robert, this has been wonderful or wonderbar. Sprachen Sie Deutsch? Do you speak any Pennsylvania Dutch? Well, ich kann verstehen. Yeah. Mm. I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do speak standard German okay and I can understand like I will watch sometimes I watch Doug's you know podcasts or his YouTube and I can usually understand Mm. most everything that he says so I do I can understand I have a passive knowledge um I can read it if I see it written I can yes I can yeah um but I don't I don't have the performance capacity in Deitch I do have a decent performance capacity in Deutsch. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that was, you know, as I've gotten older, I have, I've gotten more interested in, in, in Pennsylvania German culture and, you know, you know, one of these days, maybe I'm going to buckle down and and just learn it. I I don't know, you know, (laughs) um, where, where life is going with all that stuff, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, I've definitely developed more of an interest in, um, uh, in that part of my heritage. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have it in the store. 
Um, nice. You know, because I do sort of feel like, um, you know, the tide of time was against us and, and as relatives would move into town, you know, they, they went from being, you know, we would say duchies to far to townies, right? They weren't farmers. Anymore. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were townies. They definitely yes. lost the language. And, um, yes. and, you know, in spite of that, you know, maintaining a German language Bible. Right. You know, for, you know, like 200 years. Um, but having, you know, those old Victorians I mentioned before, they had no knowledge of German. They didn't. Their, their right. parents did. Um, you know, of any kind of German, so Deutsch or Deutsch, um, their parents had, um, mm. you know, so, but they became townies and it, that became English yep. and that, you know, so uh, I do kind of feel like it was, it was sort of snatched away from me and it would have been nicer if, if yeah. the family had maintained it because other families in Monroe County did, but not usually yeah. when they moved to town, they, you know, people, they right. In Kunkeltown and Kresgeville and Broadheadsville in the western that's you know the west end of Monroe County. That's where the where mm-hmm. the, the Deitschrei of Monroe County is. That's that's it. It's in those four townships. Right. And um so yeah. I you know, I would have I would have liked to have had that, you know. So maybe if I live to be old, I'll incorporate actual Deitsch, Pennsylvania Deitsch instead of um just German. So yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I'm not a language brained person. I know I hate when people say that they have no art skills at all and they can't draw a stick figure. It makes me so crazy because you can, you totally can, but I really do feel like I have a bit of a block about it. I did learn French in um, high school. Totally. It's all gone. It's just disappeared. <laughs> it's just all memory of it is gone. But um, the Deutsch is interesting because I'm slow learning it for like 10 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've just gotten to a point where I can really understand what people are saying. And it's really empowering though. It's neat to kind of like slowly catch up and uh, the way I I would speak, uh, you know, I would speak my children's book in Deitch early on that Doug and I wrote together. And I sounded so terrible. I call myself the Oli Valley Valley girl because it was just so ridiculous, (laughs) but it's gotten, it's gotten a lot better, but I think it's so, it's just, it's like the experience of just, learning even little bits that's why i love how doug packages it it doesn't have to be oh you know you have to go full in but just little phrases and little sayings that really is the way that my family used it um it's just so nice and will i'm sure someday be nostalgic for my kids to think about the silly things that i would say out of nowhere so i just i find i find language so fascinating and you know the 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 emotions that it can evoke so this has been such a nice conversation, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me. And it was really a pleasure. And I'm, I'm sorry for just digging so hard at the, the Welsh stuff, but um, you're like a, a lifeline for me. It's just been really nice to meet you and get to know you and um, learn many, many things from you. So thank you for your friendship and thank you for your support of my work. And I can't wait to share this episode with everybody and link all your shops or your one shop, <laughs> all of your links, I meant to say, um, with the opportunities to learn how to speak Deutsch or listen to me speak Welsh as well. And um, thank you again so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome. And thank you. It's been wonderful. And and I will bid you adieu by saying Max Gut. And if you have oh. something you can share with us in Welsh, we would love that. We'd say Hoyle. Hoyle. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I love it.